to that, that joke Mike just told. Three guys walk into a bar and are immediately eliminated from the limbo contest. Okay. Hope you got that one. I oh, appreciated that nice, uh, that beautiful, uh, that beautiful special you did, offertory you did. I think once he used to play by ear. Sounds even better now that he can play by his hands, huh? All right. This is the last, again, the last message we'll bring, I'll bring, um, for about a year. They are coming back, but um, maybe actually... I mean, I'm sad. You may be celebrating. I don't know. But uh, um, we're in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And I've had to uh, blow out some of the cobwebs here this morning. So um, let's ask the Lord's blessing. Uh, we'll get you to turn there first, and then we'll ask the Lord's blessing on his word uh, this morning. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this opportunity to hear from you now. Lord, we thank you for this day that we can celebrate fathers, and we can honor them, and Lord, we, as we think of our fathers, as we think as fathers uh, about fatherhood, Lord, may we as fathers uh, model uh, the example of our heavenly Father, Lord, who loved us so much that he sent his only begotten Son. Lord, to die on a cross for us so that we might be reconciled to him, so that we might be adopted into his family. So, Lord, we, as we look at these passages that show of your love, Lord, even uh, a love that we've sung about this morning uh, through, the, uh, uh, through your uh, example of Christ dying on the cross for us, and, Lord, our, our appreciation for what you've done for that. Lord, uh, I, I pray that we would... Uh, we just focus for a bit on your great love for us, your great love for sinners. And Lord, at times when it's hard for us as human beings to, uh, to love the lost, it's hard for us to love sinners, Lord, we know that that's not true with you. But Lord, may we hear from your word this morning. May we be challenged. May we be changed. May we be motivated to see others through your eyes. Lord, to have compassion and, and, and a burden for our lost neighbors, our co-workers, our, uh, even our family members, Lord. Speak to us from your word, even this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 15. Well, don't you just love bumper sticker theology? I mean, you don't see a lot of bumper stickers around lately, uh, but they were a big thing well, a couple of decades ago, maybe. You know, I saw some of my favorite bumper stickers. I saw a bumper sticker uh, that I read uh, a while ago that said, as a matter of fact, I do own the road. And I uh, saw another one that says, if you don't like the way I drive, stay off the footpath. Uh, things like that. And then, then those kind of went by the wayside, and you, they came out with these little yellow diamond signs with the stickers on them that you stuck in your, uh, uh, your back window. And uh, one time I saw, you know, you say, they say things like baby on board, things like that. Uh, but there was one a while back that, uh, that, that really got me thinking. And this is what it said. It said, it's just two words. Who cares? Who cares? And I thought, wow, 
That is a philosophy that is prevalent in our society today, isn't it? I mean, there's just a cynicism that you see that's pervasive through every level of society that really says, who cares? And I wonder this morning if the Lord were to put a little yellow diamond sign in the rear windows of our lives, what it would say? Would it say, who cares? Or would it say, I really do care? Well, this morning we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15. And really the first two verses of Luke chapter 15 are an introduction to the parables that Jesus is going to be telling in this chapter. And uh, you know, we mentioned that we were um, we were flying out event- eventually to the U.S. Uh, via Europe, uh, but we are flying to the U.S. and we're going to be visiting various churches. And uh, you know, when you think of the word furlough, you think you might think of the word rest. Uh, for a missionary, a furlough really is not a rest. Okay, it's a lot of traveling around. It's a lot of visiting with people. It's a lot of presenting at churches and trying to share your burden. Uh, to the lost of of your particular region, your particular area, uh, to a group of people who may not share your burden. And uh, so I think today is a good example of uh, the sort of sermon that, and I'm sure Pastor Brian would agree, and Pastor Brian would tell you the same thing, the the sort of sermon that we would preach as missionaries as we go visit and challenge churches. And as we look at the first two verses, it's sort of setting the background here of all we're going to read this morning. So we're going to see what's happening, starting in verse 1 of Luke chapter 15. Verse 1 says this, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And that's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, there are actually three persons or groups of people that, are, uh, that we have to distinguish this morning. Uh, the first, of course, is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ himself is very intent on reaching out to sinners, on receiving them unto himself. That's the first one. The second group we have are these groups of people who are... I guess you'd say seeking, and they're, they're coming to Jesus, and we might call those the sinners. So we have this situation now. We have, a, we have a very intent and compassionate Jesus Christ who is reaching out to sinners. And we have the sinners here now who are reaching in to him. Then we have a third group of people really standing on the fringes, watching all that's going on. And they are standing there aghast at what's going on here. And these are, in fact, the religious leaders of Israel, the Pharisees and the scribes. And it is beyond their comprehension why Jesus, a man who claims to be righteous, who claims to be the very son of God, would have anything to do whatsoever with sinners. And they grumble and they complain and they say in verse 2, this man receives sinners and eats with them. 
Now, to understand why they were upset, you have to understand a little bit of the, uh, the context of the culture here, because it was not uncommon for a Pharisee to have dealings with a sinner, or maybe even to uh, accept an invitation from time to time to go to the home of someone who might be deemed a sinner. But one thing you would never do as a religious leader, you would never do as a Pharisee, you would never receive a sinner to yourself, and you, in fact, never, ever would eat with them. Because eating with someone in that society was a form of acceptance of that individual. It was, uh, you might say, it's the ultimate form of fellowship. And there was no way that any religious leader, that any Pharisee would have would show any kind of acceptance, any kind of reception, any kind of friendship with anyone who would be deemed a sinner. To the Pharisee, that would be wrong. And so they're accusing Jesus of doing just that. And they're saying, Jesus, you've got some explaining to do. And so Jesus, in response to their grumblings, in response to their challenge, launches into a series of parables here in Luke chapter 15 to sort of explain the situation. By the way, what is a parable? Well, a parable, put very simply, is an earthly story that illustrates a heavenly truth. In other words, Jesus is using stories from everyday life here on earth to illustrate for them and for us what God is like. And that's what he's doing. And the stories he's going to tell are something not only uh, the sinners, but the Pharisees around them, around him need to hear. And he's aiming it at them primarily. So let's start with verse 3. Verse 3 says this. So he spoke this parable to them saying, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? Now understand, in that society, a shepherd was the, was the lowliest of professions, right? It was, not, uh, it was one of the lowliest jobs you could get. To a Pharisee, a shepherd, you might say, was the scum of the earth. You know, they were a shepherd would be one of those one of those sinners. And Jesus says, "Which one of you, speaking to the Pharisees here, which one of you, like a common shepherd, would do this?" And you can almost hear the Pharisees thinking, almost out loud in their minds, "Not me, right? I'm not a sinner. I'm a Pharisee. I'm not a sinner." And Jesus kind of goes a little step higher in the Pharisees' ladder of respect. Not much, mind you, but a little bit higher. And he says in verse 8, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And so we're going to look at a common shepherd. Now we're going to look, we're even going to look at a woman. And Jesus speaks, I guess, kind of sarcastically to the Pharisees here. If you can learn from common shepherds, and you can learn from lowly women, you, 
You're noble Pharisees. What would you do? No, you're far above this. But back to the parable of the shepherd, verse 4. He says, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And so if a shepherd loses one out of 19, well, one out of 100 of his sheep, well, that's just 1%, right? That's, that's a good margin of error. That's a good profit margin, isn't it? Yeah, the scum of the earth, the shepherds, if they lose 1% of their sheep, what do they do? Tell you what they do. They leave the other 99 out in the wilderness there and go look for that one sheep, that one lost sheep. And do you ever notice that we never really, we, we never are told uh, what happens to the other 99? Uh, because we're, really, that's not the important part. That's an intriguing part of the parable. That, that, that's not the most important part. But the question would be, which would you rather be? The one lost sheep who was found, or the 99 who were left out in the wilderness to wander around. Right? And I'll leave that unanswered for you, because in the long haul, it's better to be the one that was lost and then was found than when all this is said and done. And so the shepherd goes out looking for the sheep. And in verse 5, he says this, And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And so he's glad to do it. He's happy that he's done it. And you'll notice that he goes on to say in verse 6, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And so in this case, it's not just the shepherd that, that's uh, rejoicing, right? Uh, uh, you know, it's... it's um, it's the whole town, it's the whole village here who's called to rejoice, not just the shepherd. And then verse 7 says, I say to you, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Then we go to verse 8. He says this, or what woman? having 10 silver coins. You know, the common people of that day, they didn't have a lot of coins. You know, to have, it was very rare to have coins. Uh, if you had coins, it was very, very, very special. And some have suggested then that these coins may have been part of a, a dowry, something like that, maybe part of a, uh, a, a headdress or maybe a necklace or something like that. Whereas if even one piece of that necklace got lost, it would not only... Uh, detract from the, the from the uh, the monetary value, but the, but the uh, uh, the visual value uh, of that uh, particular piece of uh, jewelry. You might compare it to losing your wedding ring. Anybody ever lose your wedding ring? Uh, but well, let's say you 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 lose your wedding ring down the sink. You know, you you drop it in the sink and it goes down that hole. What do you do? You just walk away and say, "Oh, well, that's that." Right? No. You'd be out there in the garage getting the tools, uh, getting, crawling under that sink, tearing apart that sink until you found that ring. Why? 
because that ring not only has a precious monetary value to it to you, but it has a very special, special personal value to you, doesn't it? Absolutely. So what woman, if she loses one out of ten coins, what would she do? And we don't know if it was a dowry, part of a dowry or not, but we know that these, this one coin was very valuable to her. Right? Here's what she would do. Does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So he says, you know what? He says, you can think about a shepherd, the lowest of the low in your culture. Even he will go out and to find 1% of his flock. And you think about the women, they'll put themselves out to find 10% of their coins. And again, you noble Pharisees, what would you do? What would you do? And then Jesus gives the parable of a lost son. Now, we're not going to go through the whole parable. Uh, we're, not going to go, we're not going to read it all here. But you understand there are two sons. And one of them is lost, but he comes back. And again, there's joy when he's found again. So what's the point? What's the point of these parables? Parable about a lost sheep. One out of a hundred, parable of a lost coin, one out of ten, parable of a lost son, one out of two. Well, remember here, Jesus has a problem. Uh, and the Pharisees just can't understand why he would be interested at all in sinners. And Jesus' answer is very plain, very simple. I'll summarize it like this. Jesus says, it's because I see sinners differently than you do. I see sinners differently than you do. When you see sinners, you see sinners. Right? You see them in their, uh, you see sinners in their condition. He says, but I want you to know how I see sinners. I want you to see how my heavenly father sees sinners. And when you stand there on the fringes, criticizing me for my concern for lost sinners, I want you to understand why I do what I do, why I am that way. So how does Jesus see sinners? I think Jesus sees sinners in four different ways. So we're going to get into our outline here. Roman numeral number one. Uh, of course, the Pharisees saw sinners in their condition. Jesus sees sinners as lost. He sees sinners as lost. Now, you and I, when we hear the word lost, we may think about condition, you know, lost, saved, uh, or sorry, lost, found, unsaved, saved, uh, sa sinners, saints, condition, right? But you've got to see beyond that, okay? Because when we read the word lost here, it's not simply a statement of condition, but it's a statement of relationship. In other words, that was my sheep that was lost. That was my coin that was lost. 
That was my son that was lost. And Jesus said in these three parables, if you put them all together, he says that you have to see sinners the way I see sinners. You have to see sinners the way God sees sinners. They are the property of the shepherd. They are the property of the woman. They are the property of the father. A shepherd lost his sheep. A woman lost her coin. And a father lost his son. And you'll notice in these parables, there's this growing intensity, isn't there? Start with one in a hundred. Then one in ten. And then one in two. And I think there's also kind of a, a, a growing in the relationship here. I, I'm sure some people would get uh, attached maybe to a sheep or, or a pet or something like that. Maybe even more so than money. But ultimately, hey, how big of a, an attachment is a father to his son? And Jesus says, I want you to see sinners the way I see sinners. I don't see them as problems. I see them as possessions. I see them as possessions that are lost and in need to be found. When you look at sinners, what do you see? What do you see? Do you see one of God's sheep that has gone astray? Do you see one of God's pieces of silver, very precious to him? Do you see one of God's own sons who has gone the way of the prodigal? When you look at sinners out there, what do you see? Do you see them in their condition? Or do you see them in their relationship? And Jesus says, I'm going to give you three parables so that you'll know uh, that God the Father and I see sinners as lost. You know, it's not just a matter of him seeing them as lost. You know, I lost something the other day. I didn't even go looking for it. It wasn't important to me. It just wasn't worth my time to go looking for it. Now, sinners, you and I might see sinners as lost, and we might say, well, they're not worth my time. Why waste my time with them? Right? Who cares? When you look at a sinner, do you see somebody who's not worth your time? Now, we may not say that, but sometimes we think it. I think we really do. A common shepherd, a woman, a father, when they lose something, when they lose something like that, they not only see it as lost, they also see it as loved. It's love. The shepherd, and, and really to love something is, is to see it as valuable, isn't it? And Christ said, see sinners as lost, yes, but also see sinners as loved. A shepherd saw his one sheep as valuable to him. A woman sees her one coin as valuable to her. And if you still don't get it, he says, I'm going to tell you about a father who certainly sees his own son as valuable. And he says to the Pharisees, you see problems, and I see possessions. He says, you, you see the scum of the earth, and I see something that is loved and valuable and precious to me. Something that is precious to him. I don't know about you, 
sometimes when I walk outside my front door into the world, I need God to remind me of this. I need God to give me a heart to see sinners as lost and loved and to have compassion on them as he does. Because to tell you the truth, when I go out there, I don't always see sinners as valuable. They're not always valuable in my eyes. They're not always worth my time. That's wrong. But you know, that's not ever true with our Heavenly Father, is it? He sees us as lost, and He loves us, and He has compassion on us. How, does God, how much does God love us? I want to give you a few verses to help you understand how God sees us, how God sees sinners as loved. You probably know the first one by heart. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own Son but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? You know how much God loves a sinner? I think the book of Isaiah uh, puts it this way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And if you look back a couple of chapters in the book of Luke, to Luke chapter 13, you hear Jesus weeping over the city of Jerusalem when he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. And you hear his cry. Because when Christ sees a sinner, he sees a possession that's been lost. He sees a possession that is loved and valuable and precious to him. Sorry, I forgot to turn it on. And you see in these parables, it's not only the fact that they're lost and they're loved. But they also tell us that when Christ looks at a sinner, he sees one that is limited. They're limited. There's this, for example, this helpless sheep that's just wandered off. And sheep just do that, apparently. You know, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, the Bible tells us. Uh, sheep, they just take off. They wander off, and uh, they don't know where they are. And then when they find that they're hopeless and helpless and can't find their way back, then they just kind of curl up into a ball and refuse to move. And the Bible tells us that sinners are like lost sheep that are limited. They do not have the ability in and of themselves to make their way, their own way back to the, to the flock. Right? They will not make it back to the flock by random chance. They are limited, they are hopeless, and they are helpless in their current state. And you see, when the Pharisees, when they looked at sinners, they, uh, they, apparently they didn't see them as limited people. 
they kind of took the attitude of, you know what, if you guys would just straighten up and, uh, you know, you, if you really wanted to, you could be righteous just like me. But God says, I look at them and I see them as limited. Or how about this one? If a woman loses a coin and that coin, uh, you, we realize that that coin will not come back unless she looks for it, right? That coin is very limited. In fact, you might say the coin is dead in its present condition. It will never make its way back into that purse. Not on its own. It'll never make its own way back to where it's supposed to be. And when you read the parable of the prodigal son, you might say, hey, well, here's, a, here's a, uh, an instance where the, the son returns to his father. But you know what? If you really read that passage closely, study it closely, uh, we find that he too was limited because he would not have been brought back in if the father had not run out and, uh, and, and uh, hung on his neck and loved him and brought him back in. The father found him. And by using those three parables, Christ says to the Pharisees, you don't look at sinners right. See, you see them as a problem. I see, you, you see them as something to stay away from. But I want you to know I see them as lost possessions, and I see them as loved possessions, and I see them as limited possessions. They are hopeless, and they are helpless, and they need something. They need me. And that leads us to the last aspect of how God in Christ sees sinners. They're lost, yes, they're loved, and they're limited. But also, I got a question for you. What do all three people who are in these parables do when they lose something? They look for it. Right? The shepherd looked for his sheep. The woman looked for her coin. The father looked for his son. So we see lost sinners who are loved. And who are limited, but they're also looked for. And it's the owner. It is the one in charge who takes the initiative to go out and look for them. And he goes out to find them. So God is telling us that sinners are looked for. But what does it take to look for a sinner? What does it take to be involved in God's plan of looking for sinners? If I would see a sinner as a lost possession of God, if I would see a sinner as a loved possession of God, as a limited possession of God, what would I have to do to look for them? Well, I think the parables tell us, help us out a lot with that also. You know, the shepherd, the shepherd had to leave the 99, didn't he? You know, sometimes you have to leave. Sometimes you have to leave where you are. You have to leave what you're doing you have to leave what you're involved in. Think about this. The woman had to leave what she was doing. She had to devote all of her time and energy into finding that one lost coin. And do you suppose the father, by some random chance, happened to be wandering out in his backyard, standing there one day, and his son came walking up? I can bet you he had his eyes fixed on that road day after day after day looking for his son. The looking involves leaving. 
leaving some of the things we may want to do, leaving some of the things that may seem important to us because something is so valuable. As a human soul, we do it. We leave. We go out. It's worth it. And that's why, as you know, throughout the New Testament, we're told to go. It's not enough to let them come to our door. It's not enough to maybe put up a a, a sign in front of the church that says, come on in, you lucky sinners, and get saved. Well, maybe some will. But the overall command of Scripture, right, is to go out and reach them. And that involves leaving. But you'll also know that these parables, uh, in these parables, it takes persevering. It takes persevering. You know what? The shepherd didn't just walk out and there was his sheep in the backyard. Right? The woman didn't just two minutes into the search find her coin. The father didn't just sit, uh, uh, sit on his porch maybe and, uh, at the front door for a couple of hours and his son came wandering back. All of the accounts leave you with the impression that they all had to persevere in what they were doing. They had to keep going. And you know what? We all know of accounts. Some of you may have this experience yourself. We all know accounts of people who've, who've had lost friends, lost co-workers, lost family members, who year after year after year, we've been witnessing to them. We've been telling them about Christ. We've been living our lives in front of them. And year after year after year, we persevere. And some of us have stories of people who've been won to Christ because of that. You know what? Some of us are still persevering, aren't we? So looking involves leaving, and looking involves persevering. Looking also involves effort. You know, it's hard work. Looking for sinners is hard work. The shepherd walked off into the wilderness alone. And when he found his sheep, well, that wasn't even the hard part, right? And then he had, to, uh, he had to throw the sheep over his shoulders and carry him all the way back to the village. It took personal effort. He had, to, he had to do that. It took personal effort for the woman to find that coin, right? She had to light a lamp. She had to sweep the entire house until she found that coin. It took personal effort for the father to run out and to, to throw his arms around his son and to bring him in. And that takes, you know, sinners are lost, sinners are loved, sinners are limited, but sinners are also looked for, and that takes some effort. So do you think it's worth it? All that persevering, all that effort, all that leaving, the important things, the so-called important things that you have to do? Do you think it's worth it for all that? Sometimes it just doesn't seem like it's worth it, does it? Or is it? You know, one of the things that he wants you to see in this parable, these three parables, is this. That yes, it is worth it. It is worth it. You know why? Think about this. When the shepherd found that sheep, after looking, all that looking and all that persevering and all that effort, he lays him on his shoulders, and what does it, what's the next word? Rejoicing. 
rejoicing. And then he carries that sheep back to the village. He shows it to all the village. And what do they do? They all rejoice together. And the woman, when she finds that coin, she sweeps the house. She finally finds that coin. What does she do? She calls all her friends and neighbors together, and they all rejoice together. They all rejoice with her. And the father, when he finds his son, he kills the fatted calf and he invites the whole village over. And he says, let's, let's celebrate. Let's rejoice together. So you see, looking, yes, involves leaving. Looking involves persevering. Looking involves effort. But you know what? Looking also involves joy. What a joyous thing it is to be involved in God's program of reaching the lost for him. What a wonderful privilege we have of looking for sinners for the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, what happened to the other 99? You catch it? Would you rather be that one lost sheep who was found? Or the 99 just people who don't need to be found and are still wandering around there in the wilderness? Well, God wants you and me to see through the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ his encounter with these Pharisees who are very critical of sinners. And he wants you and me to see why it is that he would receive sinners to himself and eat with them. Not because he approved of sin. It's not because he said, well, you know, I'll just go live with the sinners and have a great time with them for a little bit. Not at all. It's because when he looked at sinners and he saw them, they were lost and they were loved and they were limited and they were looked for. He looked for them. And he wants us to learn from that. He wants us to follow his example. And as we read it, we can quickly see how this relates to the Pharisees. Boy, they really needed to hear that. Those Pharisees really needed to hear what Jesus Christ had to say. They were hypocrites. Right? They were the ones proclaiming their own righteousness. In fact, they were the 99, weren't they? They were the ones who themselves proclaimed themselves righteous and in no need of repentance. They were the ones who... Uh, were like the, the son who was angry about, uh, about all the rejoicing that was going on when his brother came back and was received. The reality was that they needed to see sinners the way Jesus Christ needed to see sinners. But you know what? These parables are not recorded for us today because, of, uh, because God wanted us to know about this encounter that Christ had with a group of people that well, it's far, far away from our day and culture that we can't even identify with. But it's recorded why? It's, it's recorded because you know what? There is a bit of Pharisee in every one of us, isn't there? If we're not careful, if we're not led by the Holy Spirit, we don't allow him to let us see sinners through his eyes. And so, what can we learn from all this? What are some lessons that we can learn uh, from these parables? Well, the first lesson we might learn is the lesson of responsibility. 
Now, sinners need somebody to find them. And the shepherd knew he was responsible to find his own sheep, right? The woman knew she was responsible to find her own coin. The father was responsible to find his son. There's a responsibility there that God has given us. But we learned something also about restoration. That the lost can be found. That a sheep can be returned to the fold. That a coin can be returned to the purse. And they can be, uh, the, the, the prodigal son can be returned to his father. Sinners look pretty bad if we're, uh, <laughs> look pretty bad to us if we're not careful, huh? But we know that even the worst sinner, even the worst sinner be, can be restored to a right relationship with God. And finally, we learn a lesson about repentance. Now, Christ has now taught them something that they didn't know about repentance. Right? See, the Pharisees' concept of repentance was that maybe someday these sinners might come to their senses and they may call unto God for mercy. But all three of these parables teach us something very important. They teach us that if repentance is, it's just something more than that. If repentance is going to take place, there has to be someone who reaches out to them. Someone who seeks them out. Someone who brings them a message. Someone who works with that individual. That's us. So again, I'm going to ask you, how do you see sinners? I hope Christ has opened our eyes with the words of these parables. To see sinners as he sees them that we can reach out to them with a heart of compassion and love and see them experience the same salvation that we have in Christ. We go out this week. Let's go look at sinners. Let's, let's, let's find sinners uh, for Jesus Christ. And may the Lord give us fruit through that. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for your tremendous love for us. As your word says, as we were still sinners, you died for us. And we've been reminded of that through the songs that we've sung. I pray songs that we've sung from our hearts. Lord, we'll be reminded here in a moment as we take communion, as we take the Lord's table, of what all it costs you to bring redemption to us, to bring us into your family. Lord, may it be a blessed time as well. And Lord, may we follow your example with a heart of love and compassion for others around us, for those in our workplaces, for those in our neighborhoods, even, Lord, for those in our families who may not know you as their Savior, that we might reach out to them in a spirit of love and compassion towards them, to see them as precious, valuable possessions of yours, and to bring them back into the fold. Lord, uh, help us to be faithful and doing what we can do. And Lord, we, we, uh, we leave those results to you. In Jesus' name, amen.